Chapter Sixteen of Grace with the American Army on the Rhine by Jesse Graham Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter Sixteen. Alfreda has a suspicion. The billet to which Grace had been assigned was the home of a German doctor where she had a comfortable large room extending all the way across the rear of the house. The owner, as she later learned, occupied a large front room with a small communicating room on the left-hand side of the house, a similar apartment on the other side of the house being occupied by someone else. Alfreda Briggs was busy getting her hand in at canteen work when Grace arrived at the billet with her credentials, without which no one could obtain lodgings in Coblentz now that the Americans had taken possession of the place and were at work setting it in order. The Overton girl found her belongings already there, including her mail. There was mail from home, but a letter from Emma Dean got first reading and put Grace in a happy frame of mind. "'My darling Grace, this goes for all of the Overton unit,' wrote Emma. "'We haven't had a letter from you in so long, I don't believe we should recognise your handwriting. There isn't a thing new in Paris except military news that I hear over the wire, which of course I can't tell you.' By the way, I did hear that William I had been called before a court-martial for insubordination and ungentlemanly language to a superior officer. My, what a narrow escape I did have! Think what a terrible mistake I should have made had I married him. Thank heaven my present William is not that sort of a fighter. By the way, I learned over the wire only yesterday that he too is on his way to Coblentz. I am glad of that, for, you being a married woman, I can trust you to chaperone him and see that he doesn't fall in love with one of those rosy-cheeked Gretchens on the Rhine. I am told today that they are inclined to favour the American doughboys. They'd better not favour my William. By the way, that daughter of yours surely has made a place for herself at Madame du Comte's school. They will spoil that child. We had Yvonne over to stay all night with us and spend Sunday last week. The yellow cat was with her. If I am well informed, the yellow cat is a lady mouser, so you can imagine how shocked we were when Yvonne told us that she had named the cat Tom Gray after her adopted father but that she called her Tom for short. I know your Tom will be delighted with the great honour that has come to him. It's up to your Tom to give his namesake a handsome present. Might send on a shell-case of mice. I understand they have plenty of them out near the front. What a lovely present to send to a young lady's boarding school. What? Arlene Thayer, Mabel Ash, Ruth Denton and the rest of this Overton unit are simply expiring to see you. Ruth thinks she is in love with a Y secretary. For myself I prefer a fighting man. I don't mean one that will fight me, leave that to the Huns, but who will fight another man when he crowds me off the walk. 
I heard a story over the wire the other day about Hippy Wingate. It seems that one of those secretary fellows, I don't know what organisation he belongs to, got quite friendly with Nora Wingate, all in the nicest possible way. But you know Hippy. Hippy heard of it, so one day he dropped in on the Salvation Hut and found Nora singing for the secretary. She said he wanted to try her voice. Well, Hippy, he, as I was saying, Hippy invited the fellow to take a flight with him. A hop, I believe they call it. The secretary wasn't permitted to refuse, and up they went. It seems they have some sort of telephone arrangement between the pilot and the observer, and after a little the secretary discovered that he had no safety belt on, and he called Hippy's attention to it rather anxiously. Hippy, according to the reports I got over the wire, said he was sorry, for he was going to do some loops to see how many he could do. One of his squadron had done thirty-seven, but Hippy was of the opinion that he could do at least thirty-seven and a half. "'But I'll fall out,' protested the secretary. "'Sure you will,' agreed Hippy but I'll turn the loops right over the Salvation Hut. When you fall out, if my wife thinks you're worth saving, she'll catch you. Well, the secretary begged, and finally Hippy relented, and said he would let his passenger out before he looped. They landed. The secretary took the hint and beat it, as the doughboys would say. I understand he hasn't been seen around the Salvation Canteen since. Isn't that just like Hippy? Now that the war is over, I suppose we all will soon be on our way to the good old United States. I know I shall die if I have to go back before my William does. I have been afraid that he might be appointed on the Peace Commission, for I know he must stand very high with the President, even if he is only a lieutenant. Well, good-bye. Remember me to Tom and tell him I hope that when he gets home he will make it his business to see that his most attractive wife stays home and washes the dishes, rather than going scouting all over America and half of Europe driving ambulances and things. Yours lovingly, Emma Grace sat back and laughed until the tears came, laughed until she was interrupted by a cry from the doorway. It was Elfrida, but instead of throwing herself into Grace's arms, J. Elfrida stood off and surveyed her with disapproving eyes. Grace Harlow Gray, you surely are a sight. I am not at all surprised. What does make me marvel is that you have come back at all. Tell me about it. Have you been crying? Your eyes are red. I have been laughing. I have a letter from Emma. Enough said. Tell me the story. You were a prisoner, I understand. A sort of prisoner. No, I was not hit with a bullet, but with a stone. The Huns are such gentle creatures. The state of my clothing is due to the fact that I got mixed up with a vineyard when I came down in the parachute. I suppose you had your information from Major Colt. Yes. I have a lot of other information too, but that will keep until I hear your story. 
Grace, to save time, told the story from the time they had left the ground in the sausage balloon, right down to the moment when she got back into the American lines. "'What do you propose to do next for thrills?' demanded Elfrida finally. "'I am not looking for thrills. I am in hope that I shall be permitted to go back home before very long. That is, if Tom goes.' He won't. They are planted here for months to come, provided we do not go on into the enemy country. How is Mrs. Smythe? Grace smiled. No change. I understood from her that you are to be placed on canteen work, drawing hot chocolate and the like. She will have you mopping out the place next. Chad is in a rage most of the time, except when her latest friend is with her. Oh, I didn't tell you about that. The day before you went over by the air route, a most charming young lady appeared on the scene. Mrs. Smythe said it was a very old friend of hers of the name of Molly Marshall. I don't know who she is or how she got into the lines, but I have been told by those who ought to know that she is an American woman who has been a prisoner of the Germans that she got by the German sentries and reached our lines after suffering all sorts of hardships. She doesn't look the part, I am free to say. Grace was interested at once. You are suspicious of her, Elfrida, she demanded. Of course I am. I am suspicious of anyone who takes up with Chad. I don't know where Molly is today. I haven't seen her since last evening. She is billeted with Chad. Where does Mrs. Smythe live? Elfrida regarded her frowningly. I forgot that you had been in the air so long. Chad occupies the front room on this floor. We are all in this house together, but if trouble doesn't make us wish we weren't, I shall be much mistaken. One Lou comes over to ask about you. He appears to have something on his mind. Have you any idea what it is? Pligeons, answered Grace laughingly. What is it you suspect about this woman, Marshall? I do not suspect her any more than I do some other persons. I am beginning to believe that our supervisor isn't as loyal to the cause as she might be. That feeling has been strengthened since Miss Marshall appeared so mysteriously. Elfrida, you know how I feel toward Mrs. Smythe, but for all that I must stand up for her. With all her faults, she is an American. Her presence at the front is sufficient evidence of that to satisfy me as to her loyalty. As I have said before, she is a vain and jealous woman, a fair type of the newly rich. As for the other woman, I hope to see her and form my own opinion of her. I think the intelligence department is considerably disturbed over spy activities. There is something else going on here too, though I haven't yet learned what it is. I have some queer fancies in the back of my head, Elfrida, and... You always did have... They are not yet sufficiently clarified to make it prudent for me to speak of them, but remember what I have said. Some day I shall tell you the story that I now warn you of. Whose house is this? 
It is occupied by a Dr. Klein, a scientific, studious-appearing fellow, and apparently very friendly to Americans. He says the Germans have been in the wrong in this war, and... I should be suspicious of that man, Elfrida. Either he is not a German, or else he isn't telling the truth. What is the attitude of the people of Koblenz? Some appear to be afraid of the Americans, while others, these are the majority, are sullen. The situation appears to me to be very tense, likely to result in an explosion at any moment. There are very few German men of military age here. I think our people are treating the inhabitants very leniently. That is a mistake, declared Grace with emphasis. Mark me, the Huns can't understand and appreciate humane treatment. They will take advantage of that attitude, believing that the Americans are afraid of them. Then we shall have to put pressure on them, and that will cause more trouble than were we to be severe with them now at the outset. I must get about and see what the lay of the land is. You keep out of it, loyal heart. That is my advice to you. Haven't you had enough yet? No, I never shall until my country has no further use for my services, my dear. When that time comes, I shall be ready to settle down to the simple life in beautiful Haven home and enjoy a real home life with Tom and my beautiful adopted daughter. Elfrida, that child is entwining herself about my heartstrings more and more as time goes on. She is doing the same thing to me, declared Elfrida. You will have to divide her with me. I mean share her with me, Grace. I am as much her mother as you, am I not? You are, of course, though my claim is a prior claim, which you as a lawyer must recognise. They had a hearty laugh over this. It was late in the afternoon when Grace went out, first having knocked on Mrs. Smythe's door, but receiving no response. Grace inquired her way to the canteen, looking in the shop windows as she passed, enjoying the sight of stores once more. There were few of these left in rural France where she had been, and those that were left ordinarily bore the marks of shell-fire. The supervisor was not at the canteen where Grace understood she was to be stationed, but Marie de Bussy, the supervisor's maid, was there and at work. Grace greeted her cordially, and the girl appeared equally glad to see Grace. "'How is Madame behaving?' she questioned. "'There is no change, but I am here most of the time, and do not see so much of her.' "'You are satisfied here, then, Marie?' "'Oh, yes, it will do. The war will soon be over, and I shall go back to my beloved France. Bah! Those Germans!' I like them not. None of us do, Marie. Is Miss Marshall with Madame? asked Grace carelessly. Marie gave her a quick glance, a keener glance than Grace had ever seen from those eyes, after which the eyes lapsed into their former dullness. I have not seen her since yesterday. I do not know. Do you know her? Grace said she did not, 
and giving Marie a smile, stepped behind the counter and began her work as a canteen server. It was not the free life of the ambulance driver, but it was a service, and Grace Harlowe was satisfied. But there was plenty of excitement ahead of her, even though life moved on in Coblentz, much the same as before and during the war. Shopkeepers were overcharging the American soldiers, others were robbing them, and the situation was lax to an extent that disturbed Grace Harlowe. She said as much to Major Colt, who called at the canteen that evening to see her, and he agreed with the Overton girl, but said that the American officers were awakening to the possibilities and that something would be done. The Major told Grace of his experience with the Germans after they dragged him from the Rhine, she in turn relating her own. He told of having seen her signal and of reading the message, and he was filled with admiration for Grace's resourcefulness and cleverness. I told Captain Boucher about that. He declared that you ought to be in the secret service, and that he was going to have you there if his advice prevailed with those higher up. How would you like that? Not at all, answered Grace smilingly. Is the captain still disturbed over the activities of spies with the army of occupation? Major Colt flashed a quick glance at her. So you do know about it, eh? Perhaps I may have surmised some things, sir, and I know the Hun and his ways rather well, she added. May I ask you, sir, if you know a Miss Marshall who entered camp the day before we went up? No, I have heard of her. Why? Just a woman's curiosity. I would suggest that you ask Captain Boucher about that. You will be somewhat amazed at what he will tell you, if he tells you anything, laughed the officer. There's a real mystery for you, eh? Grace shrugged her shoulders. There are many others more worth while, sir, she made reply, turning to hand a doughboy a bar of chocolate. I... Grace did not finish the sentence. An explosion that seemed to be splitting the earth wide open crushed in one end of the canteen and blew off part of the roof, bringing a good part of the structure down on the heads of the occupants of the building. End of chapter 16 Recording by Ashley Jane